All right, good morning once again. Can I have you turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 15? Now this morning in our study in the Gospel of John, I'd like to back up a couple verses and start with verse 9. And I believe that this was such an important issue on the heart of our Savior the night before his crucifixion that he repeated himself several times just to make sure the disciples understood how important this subject was. Remember, as we have said numerous times, this is his farewell address. His farewell address to his closest men on earth. And as we have said, when somebody addresses their loved ones for the last time, they don't waste words dealing with uh, meaningless subjects. They focus on what the most important issues uh, to them are, issues they want to pass along to those people they love most in the world. And so you might be thinking, well, what was the subject that was most dominant uh, in our Savior's thinking that night? And the answer, of course, is love. So let's look at verse 9, where it reads, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do whatever I command you. Verse 17, these things I command you, that you love one another. So... Obviously, that night, the Lord had several things on his mind he wanted to communicate to his disciples. As I said, love was one of the most dominant themes he wanted to revisit. And let me say this to you. When Jesus Christ repeats himself, don't expect me to say, well, we don't need to because we've already covered that. If Jesus thinks it's important enough to say to or even three times, guess what? We're going to study it two and three times. This farewell address starting in chapter 13, running through chapter 16, contains many of the highlights of his ministry, the things he wanted to stress the most over the three and a half years he was with them. And so bear with me, be patient if you've heard some of the things we're going to talk about today before. But we need to revisit them even as Jesus felt the need to revisit them. Now, as we've already said in our series, the vine and the branches, which we focused on in verses 1 through 8, the whole goal of the Christian life is to bear fruit for the glory of God. Very simply put, the whole goal of the Christian life is to bear fruit for the glory of God. Now, when we think of spiritual fruit, we automatically think of the fruit of the Holy Spirit that Paul listed in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The first one on the list being love. The word is agape, God's love, right? In fact, the word fruit there in Galatians 5 is singular, causing some to believe that Paul only had in mind love as the fruit of the Spirit. And the others, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, Many believe were actually the fruits of love or the byproducts of love. 
There are commentators, good commentators, that believe the fruit of the Spirit, singular, is love. And when you have love in your life, God's love, it manifests itself in all kinds of other ways. So I'll leave that with you to wrestle with. But the ultimate, in the ultimate sense, this fruit is simply the life of Christ being produced in the Christian life. That's what verses 1 through 8 are all about. Jesus wanted us to understand that the life he was calling us to live is a supernatural life. We can't uh, produce this life through our own strength. It's something that God has to do through us. It's a fruit of our relationship with Jesus. We have to understand that, right? If we don't get that, you're going to try very hard to be the person God wants you to be. You're going to be very frustrated, and you're going to be a tremendous failure because you cannot be what God wants you to be until you first are what God wants you to become, a born-again believer in Christ. That's the main thing. And once you're connected to Christ through saving faith, you're like a vine, uh, you're like a branch uh, connected to the vine. And the life of God will then begin to be produced in your life going forward. But uh, again, guys, this is not, as we've already said, uh, loving people as God commands with his agape love is impossible for us. It is beyond our ability because it's a supernatural divine love. It's not a love I can, gener can generate or manufacture. I can't produce it through, through hard work and raw determination. It is not a love that is produced in the fallen heart of man. In other words, it's not in me to love like this. God has to give me his love for me to love others with it. And that's what Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. He said, when you got saved, the Holy Spirit instantly moved into your heart. And he poured into your heart the love of God. Now you have the ability to love with God's love. Before you got saved, you didn't have, I didn't have the ability to love with God's agape love. It's only after you receive Christ and the Spirit of God moves in, He pours that love within us, and we now have the capacity. I'm not saying we always demonstrate God's love to others, but we have the capacity. And we'll talk about that more in just a second. But it is through our abiding in Christ and, and the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through us that this kind of love becomes a reality in our lives that touch others around us. Look at uh, John 15, verse 4, where Jesus said, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. If agape love is to be produced in our hearts and exercised through our lives on a practical level, listen to me. It, first of all, requires a change of mind. Now, hear me out, okay? The Christian, the Christian life is a supernatural life that becomes a reality when you accept Christ and he moves inside. That doesn't mean you're going to live the Christian life to its fullness automatically, right? Uh, much of spiritual warfare, in fact, I think most of it, much of spiritual warfare and a life that is transformed starts with your mind and the way you think. As a man thinks in his heart, what? So is he. The idea is that once God has moved in, once you're saved and Jesus lives inside of your heart through the Holy Spirit, uh, that's not when everything ends. That's not you've reached, uh, you, you know, you've achieved everything. That's when everything starts, okay? And what starts is God wants to transform your life into the image of his son every day. 
Now, that requires submission. That requires to have a change of mind. Look, there are carnal Christians. Carnal Christians are those who are saved, and yet they're still living a very carnal life. Why? Because they haven't been renewed through the transforming of their mind, right? Romans 12, verse 2. Don't be, don't be um, conformed to this world's way of thinking any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, once you get saved, uh, the capacity to live the life God wants you to live is there. But you have to be transformed into the way you think. You still think carnal thoughts, you still love the world, then you're still going to be a carnal believer. If, on the other hand, you let God transform the way you think, your attitudes towards life, uh, your worldview, everything uh, that you used to hold dear is gone now. And it's been replaced with a brand new way of thinking. That's why Satan tries to attack us in the area of our thoughts. That's why most spiritual warfare is not casting a demon out of somebody. It is, it is teaching them the word of God that their minds might be transformed because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. But the idea is that the more we fill our, our, our minds with God's word, the more we allow the spirit of God to take that uh, divine truth and energize it into a way of life. But it all starts with the word of God, knowing the word of God and so on. So... Here's the idea with regard to living a life that honors God, a life that is living uh, with the love of God in your heart and so on. You have to have a change of mind, which means you really have to want to walk in agape love. God won't force his love upon us. He won't force us to live uh, with agape love in our, in our lives, right? And since our natural human love dominates our hearts and minds. We need God's grace to have a change of mind in this regard. It's all about God's grace. But again, God's grace working along with our will. If we want to be what God wants us to be and we cry out to him and ask him to, Lord, I can't do it. I need your power to transform me. God says, great, wonderful. But understand, it starts with my word in your heart. So get into the word, right? But um, how do we, how do we change, have a change of mind with regard to agape love? Well, we must first of all start looking for opportunities to exercise agape love. And when they come our way, to embrace them, to embrace them. Let me just say this, okay? Let me, let me back up and just say this one last thing. Um, I heard a... a, a Christian who uh, had a, a marriage ministry, went all over the world teaching on marriage, and uh, he um, was teaching one day, and I was listening to the teaching, where he was talking about this very thing, how agape love is so important in human relationships that they're going to be all God wants them to be, starting with marriage. And he said, look, agape love is something that you have to pursue. What is it? What's a sacrificial love? It, it's putting yourself last and others first, especially in marriage. That's where it first of all, hits home, right? And the idea is that um, we have to look for these opportunities. But he said, I'll warn you, if you start looking for opportunities to exercise God's agape love and you do that, it's, it's kind of uh, addicting. You, you begin to want God to use you because agape love is not anything people can be neutral with regard to. Now, you demonstrate agape, you love your enemies, they're not going to be able to handle that. Some of them might turn against you, persecute you, because 
They can't deal with you loving them when they hate you. Others are going to be drawn to that love. They've never seen anything like it. It's a powerful force. I believe God's agape love is the most powerful force on this earth to change hearts and transform lives, starting with our own, right? But it's, a, it's another centered love and uh, where we put ourselves last to, to put others, their needs, uh, first. Let me just say this. Our human love, our natural human love, is often counterproductive to the life God wants us to live. In fact, I'll go as far as to say, and hear me, hear me out now, okay? I'll go as far as to say that our human love is often toxic. It's often toxic. By that I mean, if left unchecked, it will slowly destroy us in every relationship in our lives, starting with our marriages. The reason is because our natural human love is inherently selfish and self-centered. Now, not always. I have met unbelievers who are incredibly selfless, okay? I have met Christians who are incredibly selfish. So it does, it's not automatic. Once you get saved, you're this, this virtue, this epitome of God's love, right? I'm just saying, though, that even unbelievers who manifest a lot of selflessness in their loving others, it's always really centered around what others can do for them many times, right? Um, I don't want to confuse, but it, it's usually, a love, human love is usually all about those who love us or who can benefit us in some way, all right? In that regard, even though it may seem virtuous at times, human love, at its core, it's often toxic, it's often destructive. Let me explain. In 40 years of ministry, I have met married couples, many couples, and I have seen uh, spouses that have just married somebody who adore their new husband or their new wife. They're just, they're so in love. But the person they married, you know, as they are married for a little while, begin to see that this person is uh, very selfish. It's all about what they want, their desires, um, you know, their agenda, right? Uh, it's all about them. Even to the point where if someone else comes along that they think can give them a little more happiness or pleasure to commit adultery on their spouse because, again, it's all about their self-love. It's all about them loving themselves, right? And, and that's really sad because I've seen marriages that started out with one spouse so in love with the other. And yet over the course of time, and, and, and the other spouse beat that love out of them through their selfishness and so on to the point where what was once a beautiful love relationship has now become a, a hate relationship. Again, all because of a person's self-love. Look, God's love, on the other hand, is the exact opposite. When practiced through his strength and grace, our lives become not selfish but selfless. They become healthy, strong, and fruitful. And our outward relationships with others also become healthy and strong and beautiful, starting with our marriages. Starting with our marriages. The reason being is because we are now focusing on others, putting them first and our desires last, even as the Lord Jesus Christ illustrated and demonstrated in his own life. Turn to Philippians 2. Guys, Jesus is the example for everything. He is the example for everything. I'm not the example. You're not the example. 
when we talk about being the Christian God wants us to be, always look to Jesus. Look unto him, the author and finisher of our faith, right? It's all about him. Second uh, Corinthians 3.18, the Holy Spirit is more and more transforming our lives into the image of Christ. It's all about us becoming more and more like Jesus. Well, what did Paul say about Jesus? Philippians 2, starting with verse 3. He said, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. There's the mind again, right? In lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery, robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So that was Jesus, right? And as we look to him and seek to emulate by God's strength what Jesus was all about, we are to put ourselves to death, our, our self, right? Take up our cross, die to self, putting others' needs above our needs, uh, again, making them the focus, seeking to serve them with all of our heart. And this especially is true in marriage. And the problem with a lot of marriage is you have two people struggling for dominance. You have two people that have entered into a business arrangement that, you know, 50-50, right? You've heard that. What's the, how the world thinks of marriage. 50-50, you know, this, it's a, that's a business arrangement. Whereas marriage in the eyes of God is 100%, 100%. If you're both giving 100%, you're both getting 100%. When a marriage is not what God wants it to be, you hear things like, well, that's not my job. That's your job. Things like that begin to show up, right? You always know your marriage is not what God wants it to be when you're fighting for dominance and you're not serving each other but making sure you're not going to get cheated from from your spouse in any way shape or form that's sad but that's a lot of marriages that even christian marriages i'm sorry to say right if you do what god has said jesus said if you love others and again marriage is where it starts if you love others the way i have loved you sacrificially right god's love well not only are you going to be blessed but jesus said in verse 11 your joy is going to be full your joy who doesn't want joy right as we saw in chapter 13, joy is not something you achieve through direct pursuit. It's a byproduct of serving others. A lot of people don't realize that. And so Jesus, after giving these guys an illustration of where spiritual fruit, God's love, comes from, from their relationship with him, he now and, and, and tells them how it grows by them just staying close to him. He now emphasizes the importance of abiding in God's love on a continual basis. And of course, the Lord says in verse 10 that the main way we abide in God's love is simply by keeping his commandments each and every day. Not the 613 listed in the Old Testament, by the way. Okay. But the two main commandments the Lord Jesus reduced those 613 into. Remember one day, a Pharisee, a lawyer, came to Jesus and said, Rabbi, what is the greatest law of Moses? Now, this was a running argument that they had had for centuries. 
I mean, what is 613 laws in, in, in the law of Moses? Which commandment is the greatest? So they thought they'd come to Jesus and ask him one day. Well, that's great. He took it up right away and said, okay, Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus said, well, the greatest is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The Greek is supreme above all the others. Okay. He goes on, verse 39, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. <laughs> so Jesus did us a big favor. He took 613 commandments, reduced them down to two, right? But now the night before his crucifixion, his mind is focused on them and them taking up the mantle after he would be gone, after he would be crucified and eventually rise uh, from the dead and ascend back to his father. So he was really focusing on the work of the kingdom they were going to be doing after he was taken from them. So the focus shifts from the two. Now he wants to focus on just one. On the horizontal level, that kind of love. And so he said earlier in the evening, again emphasizing the importance of his disciples loving one another, uh, the Lord Jesus officially gave them, and all of his disciples, I would include everyone in this room, a new commandment for the new covenant. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 5, he said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And the word is agape, all through that passage. Okay, God's love. This is the command of which the Lord Jesus is speaking. The command which he repeats in chapter 15, verses 12 and 13, when he said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life <clears throat> for his friends. And again, the Lord tells us in verse 11 that we will receive great joy when we love others as he has loved us. In fact, the Lord goes on to say in verse 13 that there is no greater love in this world than God's sacrificial agape love. Look, the world has its own definition of love. Let me read you what the dictionary actually says about what we would call natural human love, right? It says this, and I quote, What is love? It's a profoundly tender, passionate affection for another person. A feeling of warm, personal attachment or deep affection, as for a parent, child, or friend, or sexual passion or desire. Now, I want you to notice how the dictionary defines human love in terms of feelings. Feelings, okay? God's love, agape, isn't just words and feelings. Agape love is action-based, not feelings-based. We read in John 3.16, 3, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That's God's love in operation. The world needed salvation. The world needed a Savior who would pay for their sins so that men and women could be saved and spend eternity with God in heaven. And so God so loved this world that he acted. He gave his only begotten son, right? Guys, God's love is unconditional. It's universal. It's non-discriminating. As the scriptures say, God so loved the world, and he is no respecter of persons. 
which means God loves you this morning. God loves you who are watching online. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. God loves you. And he wants to save you if you're not a believer. He is reaching his arms out to you. Think of Jesus with his nail-scarred hands, reaching out to you, saying, I love you. I've proven it. Now come to me that I might embrace you as a son, as a daughter of mine, that I might give you eternal life. Oh, but Lord, you don't know the life I've lived. Well, yes, the Lord does know. Okay, He knows everything about us. But it doesn't matter to him. He's willing to forgive whatever you've done because he's no respecter of persons. He loves the world and wants all men and women to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Of course, human love isn't like that. Human love is limited and can diminish over time. We're seeing that in our culture today. Do you, have you looked around and seen how even human love is, dis, is diminishing? I mean, families are dividing. Marriages are ending. Our nation is crumbling. It's really something to see right in front of us. Human love can diminish over time. We are seeing it in our culture today, especially in marriage. Again, many husbands, um, the love of many husbands for their wives and wives for their husbands has grown cold toward the person they vowed to love for better, for worse, in sickness and in health for the rest of their life. For many couples, it isn't really until death do us part. It's until divorce do, do we part. And that's pretty obvious, okay? And again, such is the nature of human love rooted in the fallen, selfish heart of man. It often has an expiration date attached to it. But God's love, agape, never diminishes. It never expires because God is its source, uh, is the source of this love, and God never diminishes or changes. Hebrews 13, verse 8, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Aren't you glad to hear that? We change, not always for the better, but God never changes. He's always perfect. He always loves us unconditionally, and so on. As I said, human love loves its own. Jesus said that in John 15, verse 19. It loves its own family. It loves its own friends. It loves those in its sphere of influence that can benefit them in some way. But God loves, God's love loves all, even his enemies. Remember what Jesus said at the end of Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount? He said in Matthew 5, verse 44, But I say to you, love your enemies. In that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good and sends his rain on the just and on the unjust alike. Jesus said, you know, it's no big deal that you love those who love you. Any unbeliever can do that. But when you love your enemies, you're demonstrating that you belong to God. You're one of his kids. And this is how God is. Uh, he, he, he blesses unbelievers, those who are his enemies, because that's his nature. And he wants us to emulate that in our own lives now when people hear jesus say that we are to love our enemies many immediately respond well how can i love my enemies and what they're saying is how can i have feel for my enemies good things right well you probably can't in your own human love <clears throat> but again god's love isn't about feelings 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 8, Paul the Apostle gives us what I believe is the best definition, the best description of God's love in all the New Testament. And he does it by using all verbs. To demonstrate God's love is not a feeling, it's an action. It's action-oriented. That's how we can love people we don't know. You know I, I have no feelings for this person. Why do we as Christians send relief to foreign countries that have suffered, uh, suffered earthquakes or some kind of pandemic? Why do we do we, we don't know those folks in China or in Thailand or wherever else this thing has happened? Why do we do it? Because God's love is in our hearts. And we love people because God has put that love for people. He loves people. And he's put that love in our hearts. And that's how we know we are children of God, right? And, and Paul is saying, look, that's God's love. It's, it's action-oriented, not just feelings. I'm not saying feelings won't accompany acts of agape love, but they're not the basis for that love, right? Of course, God's agape love needs to be demonstrated, first and foremost, among Christians in the family of God, right? I mean, if we're going to show agape love to anyone, it's got to be to our family in Christ first. In fact, John in his first epistle tells us that true Christians love other Christians. In fact, he, make, he makes it a litmus test of true salvation. How do you know you're really saved? Do you love the brethren, he said. If you don't love the brethren, you're in trouble. Oh, I love Jesus. I just hate everybody else. Well, you see, that's, that's a problem. I've heard, seen articles written by people. They love Jesus. They hate the church. Well, that's a problem. Because the church, as messy as it is, right? I mean, it's full of sinners saved by grace. It can get a little messy. But we love each other. We still love each other. Because that's the nature of, of God's love in us, which is poured out in our hearts once we receive Christ. But John said in 1 John 3, verses 16 to 18, it says, you know, God's love manifesting in believers loves other Christians, but not just verbally, tangibly. Uh, John says, by this we know love. By this we know we have God's love in our hearts because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in that person? Little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Look, <clears throat> loving people as God commands with his agape love is impossible for us. We've said this. It's beyond our natural ability. Again, this is not a love I can manufacture or produce out of my own fallen human heart. It is not in me. It's not in you for us to love like this apart from God's uh, divine uh, ability, enablement, right? Um, again, agape love is a divine, supernatural love that flows from God who is its source. It's an attribute of God which comes from his nature is the idea. God's attributes are intrinsic to his nature and to his nature alone, and that means... That unbelievers, what the Bible calls the natural man in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that unbelievers cannot duplicate the attributes of God from a fallen heart. Which means unbelievers can fake God's love, and certainly there's a lot of folks that go to church and fake God's love. But they cannot make God's love. 
The only way for a person to experience the attributes of God in their life, which again are exclusive to God's nature, is to have God's nature planted within them. This is exactly what Peter said in 2 Peter 1 verse 4. When you accepted Christ as your Savior, the, he, Jesus moved in through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and at that time you became partakers of the divine nature, of God's nature. And that, that, and that was at that moment that God's love was poured into us. Because again, love is only found in, it's an attribute of God's nature. For us to have God's love within us, we have to have God's nature within us. That happened at the moment we got saved. That's what it means to be born again. We were born again, now children of God, with the nature of God within us. And as such, we have the ability, not that we always do it, we have the ability to produce fruit of the Spirit as we abide in Christ. But again, guys, God's love is an all-encompassing and unconditional love that loves freely, regardless of how that love is returned, if returned at all. Again, John 3, 16, so, for God so loved the world that he gave, his only begotten son, right? Does the world appreciate that? Does everybody in the world acknowledge what a great thing God did? But God still did it. If God's love was reciprocal, he would have seen into our hearts and said, well, that person not going to be thankful i'm not going to die for them jesus died for the whole world because he loved the whole world and he knew that most of the world would never respond uh, somebody has said if you were the only person on the face of the earth would jesus still have still have died for you yes absolutely this is different from human love which is reciprocal I love you because you love me, and often conditional. But I only love you when you treat me the way I think I deserve to be treated. God's love is not like human love. Again, God's love is a supernatural love that is not inherent to our human nature. In other words, it is not of this earth. It is not of this earth. Again, it's a fruit of God's divine nature. But for the fruit of... For the fruit of love to grow, really grow in our lives, we need to abide in Christ on a daily basis. Now, this is what Jesus was getting at in uh, the sermon that we have been studying uh, in John 15, his final farewell address. This was the point he was making, right? The goal is to bear fruit in the Christian life. That fruit is love. How do we bear God's love to this world? Get it saved. But then once we're saved, we have to abide in Christ. Because that is the only way that God's love continues to grow and flourish and, uh, and uh, extend to the people around us, right? This is exactly what Jesus was, the point he was making in the vine and branches discourse. Let's look at verse 1 again. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. In these verses, Jesus tells us that God's love is a fruit that grows in our lives as a byproduct of our relationship with Jesus. As I just said, agape love comes from God and from God alone. It is planted in our hearts the moment of our salvation and becomes a supernatural testimony to the presence of God in our lives. We've talked about that. 
the more we remain connected to Jesus in daily fellowship, in other words, abiding in him, the more God's love grows in our lives in a supernaturally natural way. You don't even know it's happening. It's all supernatural because it's, that's our relationship with Jesus. It's all supernatural. The Christian life is a supernatural life. Too many Christians try to lose the energy of their flesh and their miserable failures. But um, it's all about abiding in Jesus because when you abide in Christ, the life of Jesus keeps flowing in and through our lives. That's what it's all about. Of course, let me just say this as we wind it down. When we're talking about exercising God's love, first and foremost, it must be directed at him. At him. So wait a minute, you're confusing me. You're saying that I need God's love to love him with. That's exactly what I'm saying. I ask God all the time for his agape love to love him with. Because you know why? My human love is selfish. It's self-centered. It's, self, it's dominated by self-interest. We don't even realize. Sometimes we're praying, we think we're praying such magnanimous prayers. At the core, it's all about me, though. It's all about me. We don't even realize it. And I know that about myself. I can be very selfish. I can ask for things that sound very spiritual, but really, God sees the heart and knows I'm really praying for me. So I say, Lord, all, I, all the time I say, Lord, I need to love you with your love, not my love. Because my love is selfish. It's tainted. I, I need to love you. with Because that's the love Jesus loved the Father with, right? His life was all about doing all that the Father wanted him to glorify the Father, right? And he says it here in John 15. He says, look, uh, as my, I have abided in my Father's love, abide in my love. The, the idea is that, you know, live with God's love as the motivation for everything you do. I'll say this to you. If we don't love God with his sacrificial agape love, that love will never flow into the horizontal relationships in our lives. You know, loving one another, especially uh, family, marriage, so on. Look at verse 9 again. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. The Greek word for abide, as we have already said, is the word meno. And it means to continue or to remain. The mark of a true disciple of Jesus is that they continue in the faith. They remain in fellowship with him every day. Now that's the goal. We don't always do it. Sometimes we, we sin and blow it. Sometimes we backslide. But the goal is to have an ongoing love relationship, a deep abiding fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's the point at which everything else flows. Everything God wants for my life, all the blessings, the joy, the fruitfulness, all, everything starts at that point. Am I connected to Jesus in salvation? And am I walking with him in fellowship every day? Because when I am, beautiful things begin to happen. And one of those is Jesus said in, John, in verse 11, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Let me say this in closing. If you're sitting here this morning, you're watching online, and you're saying to yourself, I don't have any joy anymore. I don't know what happened to my joy. I don't, I don't have any joy anymore. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm miserable lately. I'm depressed. Uh, I hate everybody again. 
All right. Well, thank you for your honesty. It's a little frightening, but thank you for being honest. It's not until we confess our sins that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, right? But let me say this to you. If your joy has diminished in your Christian life, know this. It is because your relationship with Jesus in some way, shape, or form has diminished. Again, you can read verse 4. Everything in the Christian life is proportionate to how much we're walking with the Lord, how close we are to Him at any given moment. Whenever the old nature begins to rise up, you're starting to watch the junk you used to watch, listen to the stuff you used to listen to. You're talking a lot like you used to talk with the profanity and things like that. Know this, those are all warning signs that you have slowly, might be very slowly, have moved away from Jesus, and now the flesh is rising up again. We don't live in a vacuum. Either we're walking in the Spirit or we're living in the flesh. And, and this is one of the things, and you know, it's not hard to understand. And, and, and there's a lot of Christians who admit that. Yeah, 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 I, 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 my joy's gone. But, but I told God I'm going to try harder. Wrong. You don't try harder. You abide longer. Please hear me out. The goal or the answer to your Christian life diminishing and the love, the joy, the peace is waning is not more church, more Christian activities, uh, more Bible studies. I'm not putting any of that down. Sometimes people think that what they need to do is just ratchet up all the activities. That's how I'm going to get close to God again. Well, some of that might be true. I mean, certainly go to Bible study in church on a regular, stay in the Word. But it's all about Jesus. It's all about Him. And so if you really want to have all the fullness that God wants for your Christian life, growing and flowing in and through your life, you've got to make Jesus the issue. He's, he's got to be the focus, right? Again, don't try harder. Uh, you're not going to achieve this through the work of your flesh. The energy of the flesh is not going to produce the fruit of the Spirit. You know, in the book of Revelation, to the church of Laodicea, Jesus said to them, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in. Notice the Lord didn't say, Behold, I stand at the door and kick it open. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in. Notice the Lord didn't say, uh, excuse me, I believe that the main interpretation in that section of Revelation 3, the letter to Laodicea, was Jesus was knocking on an apostate church wanting to get in. The real interpretation was about salvation. He was knocking at the door of their heart. They're churchgoers, but they weren't saved. That's a real problem today. But he was knocking on their door of their heart saying, let me in so I can save you and have fellowship with you. Okay. But I do think you can apply that then to Christians who are saved, you know, obviously, and um, that Jesus is knocking every day for you to open your heart to him for fellowship, for fellowship, right? Look, there was an English artist named Holman Hunt who attempted to capture that scene out of Revelation 3, verse 20, behold, I stand at the door of knock, and knock, right? So he wanted to capture that scene on canvas. 
Uh, and he made a painting called The Light of the World. Uh, you can go online and you can see it. Uh, in fact, that very painting now hangs in St. Paul's Cathedral in London, very famous painting. But in this picture that, he, uh, that uh, Holman Hunt painted, he pictured Jesus standing at the door of a neglected cottage, knocking to be let in. The author says, when he first painted the picture, he invited his artist friends to come over and critique it. After gazing at the painting intently, one of them said to him, Holman, you have made a terrible mistake. You left off a very important part of the door. Holman replied, what are you talking about? The handle, Holman. You left the handle off the door. Uh, Mr. Hunt replied, that was on purpose. You see, this door is a picture of the human heart. And the handle of the door is only on the inside. For it's up to the one within to respond to the knock of Jesus. End quote. Look, Jesus will never force his way into a heart. He won't barge in where he's not welcome, not for salvation, and not for fellowship. He's a perfect gentleman who knocks and says, If you'll respond to me and open the door of your heart to me, I will come into you, and I will have fellowship with you. I will abide with you. But the choice is up to you. In the same way, daily fellowship with Jesus is something we must choose to pursue. He's knocking. The question is, are we going to answer and let him into our lives each day? This is the only cure. The title of this message is The Cure for Toxic Love which you understand now is human love, selfish love. The only cure for toxic love is God's love. And the only way I can have more of God's love is to abide in Christ more and more every day. I just had a young lady come up to me after first service, weeping. She said, I came here this morning wondering why I was all, I'm always angry lately. Why, why I'm, 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 I just don't have any love, any peace. I'm just, and I, w I was crying out to the Lord, and then I came to church, and you were talking on this very subject. And she said, thank you. This is what I need. I need Jesus. I've gotten away from my devotions. Um, I forgot if she was working out in the morning or something, she said, but I'm not reading my Bible like I used to. I'm not drawing close to him. I said, well, thank you for your honesty. What you're seeing are the warning signs that you have slidden away from Jesus. If you love me, repent, return, do your first works, right? Revelation five, 3. So may God give us grace. The Christian life is not a super intellectual life that only the greatest theological minds can understand, and we depend on them because recipes are too stupid. Very simple. A child could understand it. Love Jesus with all your heart. Keep drawing close to him every day. And let God live his life through you. That's what it's all about. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for loving us unconditionally. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue to work in our hearts, that we would draw closer and closer to you, Lord, and we just pray that, Lord, you'd fill us afresh with your spirit, that we might 
enjoy that sweet fellowship we once knew if we've backslid. We thank you, Lord. Give us grace to abide in our Savior, that your love might flow through us to others around us. We thank you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.